Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28. That'll be our text this morning, the song that we just sang, a very well-known passage. Matthew 28, and follow along as I read again verses 16 to the end of the chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our Father, bless your word as it's been read, and bless your word to your people this morning, that we would hear and believe and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is commonly known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, the last section of Matthew's Gospel. And isn't it true that the last statement, the last words, certainly the last command and mandate coming from someone before they leave, isn't it true that it comes with greater impact, greater authority, greater purpose? That's exactly the case here. This is the last words that Jesus is speaking before he ascends to heaven to be with his Father. The last words that he gives his disciples on this earth. And these words come to us today as well. Is this command applicable today? That's one of the questions and concerns that William Carey had years ago. And I mentioned him this morning in the presentation. And so as I preach this text this morning to you, may it come in a way that we realize and remember that this text and this command of Christ is applicable to Jesus' disciples today. As I've just read this passage here in Matthew 28, may we hear Jesus speaking this to us now. That we as his people today, his disciples in this generation, seek to faithfully obey This command. So I'm going to be using the term missions or world evangelization. As we go through this passage, and I mentioned this morning as well, the term missions is not seen in the New Testament, but that's the term that we use as we consider this command of Christ going into the world and making disciples and preaching the gospel. So let's look into our text. Starting here in verse 18, Jesus comes. And he speaks to them. And what's the first thing that he says as he gives an introduction to this command? What has been given to Jesus? Notice our text. We all know this passage, verse 18. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, he could have said, all authority is mine. But he says it a different way, right? We see here in a text in verse 18, Jesus speaking, all authority has been given to me. Is it true? that all authority has been given to Christ. 
Now, as Bible-believing Christians, I'm sure every one of us in this room would say, yes. But consider what Jesus is saying here. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. What other man could make that claim? And it be true. Certainly, throughout history, men have stood up, conquerors and presidents and politicians and emperors, and have made this claim, I have all authority. But there's only one man in history who has stood up and made this proclamation, made this declaration, and in fact, it is true. And it's this man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who declares to his disciples, who declares to us in this room this morning, and declares to the world today as well, that all authority is his. Well, who gave Jesus this authority? He says, all authority has been given to me. Who gave him this authority? And he doesn't say specifically in the text here, but we know from what scripture teaches that it is none other than God the Father himself who has bestowed this authority upon Jesus Christ. A cross-reference we could turn to, there's others as well, but one is Philippians 2 verse 9. It says, God the Father has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Christ every knee will bow. It's the Father who has given Jesus this authority. Well, how much authority has the Father given to his Son? How much authority has been given to Christ? Just some? Just in certain realms? Well, Jesus says very clearly, all authority. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven. All authority on earth. All authority in the universe belongs to one man. That man is Jesus Christ. Authority over all peoples. Authority over all companies and governments and laws and militaries. Jesus Christ, the God-man, has authority over all nations and over all presidents. Let that sink in. Let us consider afresh today the authority that Jesus Christ has and seek to obey the command that Christ, the one who has all authority, gives to us. He has authority to rule. Jesus has authority to reign. Jesus has authority to command. Isn't it true? As Christians, we know this is true. As Christians, we believe this is true. So hence, as we read this passage again today, and we've read it many times throughout our lives, in light of Jesus having all authority, we must not talk back. We must not disregard his command. We must not, must not question what he says. We must not disobey this mandate, right? If he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and then he speaks to us a command, are we in a position to disregard or to disobey? Certainly not. Well, another question we can ask here in verse 18. Why or on what grounds or basis did the Father give Jesus all authority? Or another way we could ask the question, did Jesus earn this authority? Or was it just arbitrarily given? Did Jesus earn this? Well, there's a few things I want to say here. Certainly he did, and one reason is because of his obedience to his Father's will. John 6, 38, Jesus says, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Based on his obedience to his Father's will, his Father has given him this authority. Another reason, John 17, 14, his finished work upon the cross. 
And Jesus says, I've accomplished the work that you've sent me to do. The Father gave Christ work, a job, a task, a mission. And Jesus says in John 17 that he accomplished that. So based on his finished work, he has earned all authority from the Father. Another answer, Romans 1.14, his resurrection. It says in Romans 1 verse 4, the Father declared Jesus to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. Because Christ, the God-man, has risen from the dead, the Father has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. And then one final reason, similar to the second, is the fulfillment of his mission in Hebrews 9.26. It says that Jesus has come to put away sin. Did he do that? Did he fulfill his mission? Did Christ put away sin upon the cross? Yes, he did. And in Hebrews 9, 26, it says that he has put away sin. And because of that, the fulfillment of his mission, the Father has given him all of his authority. So those are four reasons. We could certainly look to others as well. In the context of receiving all authority from his Father, what does he command? So that's the introduction, right? Before he gives the command, he begins by saying, all authority is mine. And then he gives the command. So in light of this, the fact that he has all authority, all authority has been bestowed upon him, what command does Christ give here in these verses? And it's very clear. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's the command. Yeah, we all understand that. This is clear. You know, we live in a day and age where people want to say, well, that's your interpretation, and the Bible isn't too clear. Most of Scripture is very clear, and the words of Christ here come to us very clearly, right? Jesus speaks to us today as his people. Go into the world and make disciples. You kids understand that, right? That's the command that Jesus gives in the context of receiving all authority. Notice all the things Jesus doesn't say. He gives one command. He makes an amazing statement. All authority is mine. The Father has given me all authority. Now go do this one thing. Notice all the commands he doesn't give. And Jesus has given many commands in Scripture. But notice the one final specific clear command that Jesus gives to us today. Go and make disciples of the world. So if you're a believing Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, this command comes to you, right? To whom does he give this command? Here in our context, we see that it's his disciples. Now, some say it was just the 11. I tend to think that it was more disciples than that. But clearly, it's his disciples, right? His disciples meet him on the mountain, and he gives this command to his people, to his followers. So if you're a Christian, this command comes to you today. It comes to you in your life. If you're a Christian church, this command comes to you. All those who are born again are to obey this command. Now, in varying degrees, right? Read the book of Acts. We see the disciples of the book of Acts obeying this command in different ways. Not everyone went on, quote-unquote, the mission field. Actually, very few did. But all of God's people corporately, as disciples of Christ, are to obey this command. So don't seek to try to get out of it if you're a Christian. Consider this command in a new way. Go home and pray about it. Lord, how can I help further the cause of the gospel? Lord, how can I participate in missions? Lord, how can I 
obey this command that you've given to me. And as a church, pray that as well. Is this a suggestion? Is this an opinion? You know, Jesus is ascending to heaven. He says, listen, one final suggestion. You know, take it or leave it, do what you want. Does he say it that way? No. That's why he said at the very beginning, all authority is mine. In other words, don't question. It's not an opinion. It's not a suggestion. This comes with the, all the authority that Jesus Christ has. So let's not treat it like an opinion. Let's not treat it like a suggestion. Many professing Christians in our day and age, even in our land, live as if Jesus never gave this command, right? They're living for everything else. They're living for the American dream. They're living for fame and for money, and the list goes on and on. So let us not live that way as we hear this command come to us, the one who has all authority. Well, what are we to go and do? Notice our text here. Okay, again, we've heard this. This is very familiar. You don't even have to be following along in your Bible. You know what it says, right? Verse 19, go and do what? That's the key command here, the key imperative of Jesus's mandate. Go and make disciples. Again, notice what he doesn't say. Jesus could have said a million things. He doesn't say, go and dig a well, right? He doesn't go say, paint a building. You know, there's so much in our day and age that falls under those kind of categories. Jesus is very specific, very clear. What is missions? What's the mandate? What are we required to do as the people of God? No one, not go and do all of these other things, but go and specifically make disciples. Now, is it evil to go and dig a well? No, that's not the point here. But Jesus makes it very clear what we are supposed to do. There's a lot that goes on under the name of missions in our day and age that is not what Jesus says here. They write a list of 100 other things, and the one thing that Jesus says to do, go make disciples, so many are not doing. So I want to challenge you this morning as individual Christians, as a church, as you do missions, as you participate in this mandate, make sure that it's the work of making disciples, as Jesus clearly tells us to do here. Well, where do Jesus' followers have to go make disciples? Notice our text here. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of some of the peoples. Oh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? Of some places, no. Okay, very clear. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Why? Why not just the Jews? Why not just the Americans? Oh, because Jesus owns the world, right? This world belongs to Christ. This globe is his. He doesn't want just a small group of people in one area of this world. Jesus owns all creation and all people belong to him. And he desires his gospel to go and to conquer this world and for him to save all of his people out of this world. Not just some groups, but all groups. And Jesus makes that very clear. So our goal, one of our goals as we do missions, okay, and I'm using that term in a general way, as we do missions, we should seek to bring the gospel to all peoples. Okay? There are about 7,000 people groups in this world, and I talked about people groups this morning, right? We are in one people group. There's different ways to define people groups. There's different languages, different places, different cultures. 
17,000 people groups in this world. And according to Joshua Project, some of you may have heard about that website, the Christian website that seeks to categorize people groups in this world. And according to the website, 7,000 people groups remain unevangelized. Isn't that astonishing? 17,000 total, 7,000 remain unevangelized. And as of a few years ago, where we are, that remained unevangelized. Okay, now we're there. We're bringing the gospel to these people in Papua New Guinea where we are. There are still thousands of people groups throughout the world, different languages, different customs and cultures in China and in India and in South America that remain unevangelized. I hope that burdens your heart. You're not one of those people groups that are unevangelized. Consider that. Imagine you were part of a people group that remained unevangelized now for 2,000 years. You've never had the gospel. You've never heard of Christ. And your parents and your grandparents and all of your ancestors and all those going before you have died without Christ, without the gospel, and have gone to hell. I hope that impacts you. I hope that burdens you. To consider many, many, many thousands, not individuals, but people groups, language groups, that remain unevangelized. And it's our responsibility as the people of God in our generation to get the gospel to them, to make disciples of those peoples. Another way to look at it is that there's about 8, 9 billion people in this world. And according to Joshua Project, about 3 billion remain unevangelized. These are staggering numbers. That's about 40% of the world's population. Every major city in the world has a Christian church. Every country in the world has an evangelical church. The gospel is being preached in every single country of this world. But that's not how the New Testament describes missions. That's not how the New Testament talks about missions. It uses this term nations or peoples. And in our education here in America, we tend to think of countries, right? The country of America, the country of Australia or Germany, or Ukraine, right? That's not how the New Testament speaks of it. It speaks of people groups and language groups. So I hope I can, possibly for the first time this morning, cause you to think, you know what? It's not countries, it's people groups and language groups. The New Testament even uses the word kin, which is a family group. And a lot of New Guinea places are made up of what we'd call family groups or kin. Okay, Jesus says here, go to all the world, to all peoples, not just some of them. Right? When he says all, he doesn't mean some. Not only the easily accessible ones, right? Well, it's tough to go to Mocha, so forget Mocha. No. Not only the cities. You know, some people have the, this idea, okay, let's just evangelize the cities and that's good enough. No. Not the places and the peoples that have already been evangelized. That's what's going on all over the world. Let's just keep sending missionaries back to the same places. No. Let's evangelize all the world. Now, is it wrong to start a church in a place where there's churches? You know, if your church grows, we talked about this yesterday. If your church grows, you need to start another church, you know, half an hour away, an hour away. That's great. But as we consider missions, world evangelization, we should seek as one of our main goals as the people of God, to get the gospel to areas where it hasn't gone. As Jesus says here, go therefore and make disciples of all the peoples of this world. 
what a blessing it would be if your church said, you know what, let's pray about this. And let's send one couple to an unevangelized people group out of these 7,000. What a blessing that would be. I mean, how many evangelical churches are in America? Thousands. If every church said, you know what, just in America alone, we're going to send one couple to one unevangelized people group, the world would be evangelized in one generation. And now it's 2,000 years. Again, which people does Jesus call and command to evangelize the world? His people. That means you in this room, right? We, as the people of God, he's calling you. So don't think, well, what about the church down the road? Don't worry about them right now. This word that I've just read from Matthew 28 is Christ speaking to you. So if you're part of Jesus' people, then he speaks his command to you. So I want to encourage you, challenge you as you go home this week. Pray about this. As you gather as a church, pray about this. We can't rely on others to evangelize the world, right? We're not going to rely upon the companies or the businesses. Right? Well, you listen, the companies, they're big. They got the money, let them. They're not going to do it. Right? We know that. The governments and the politicians, are they going to evangelize the world? Are the rich and the famous going to do it? You know, this is very practical. I like to preach practically, even you kids here. We know a lot of things, right? This command that Jesus gives is very clear. This command comes to us this morning. What excuses do some professing Christians give why not to go? Maybe some of you in this room have had some excuses. Well, I'm not going to go because, and fill in a blank. And there's a long list. You know, we're... We, we do missions work, right? I've talked to many different missionaries, different mission organizations, people in different groups doing different things, and I've heard many different excuses. And I'm going to just give a few this morning. Maybe some of these excuses you've thought, maybe some of them you've given individually, as a family, as a church. And if that's the case, pray about it that the Lord would take these excuses away. One excuse is it's too difficult, Right? Listen, if we go to those unevangelized people in the Middle East, it's just too difficult. That's an excuse. Or I'm too old. I, I hear that one a lot, right? I'm too old. I'm you know, past 40, so I'm too old. I can't get the money. I hear that one all the time, too. It's too difficult to get the money, so we can't go. Some people say, well, it's, it's so remote. The, the unevangelized people of this world, they're so remote. They're so isolated. That's an excuse. Well, I don't want to leave family. Well, I have to quit my job. I don't, I don't want to do that. I have to sell my house. I have to move. I don't want to learn a new language. You know, I talked about language this morning as I gave a report, right? So many people are fearful of learning a new language. That's an excuse people give. Well, I can't learn a new language, so, you know, I, I can't go. That's an excuse. My kids are too important. I hear this one often, too. You know, my kids' schooling and their health and their, their friends, their friends are much more important, so... You know, we're not going to obey the command of Christ. It's too dangerous. Well, you know, there's poison snakes there, there's crocodiles, there's malaria, you know, so we're not going to go. You know, only, only the seminary graduates should go. You know, the men, men in the ministry, only, only they should go. That's an excuse. Well, I won't be rich and famous. Well, that's true, right? If you go to missions, you ain't going to be rich and famous. Well, I might get sick. I might even die, right? You know, imagine, imagine Jesus thought that way. 
you know, I'm going to go to earth and I might die, so I'm not going to go. Imagine Jesus gave that excuse. Or all the disciples of the New Testament. Think of all the Christians in Fox's Book of Martyr. You know, the greatest Christian men and women that the Lord has used throughout church history have been people who considered this, I might even die, and they dismissed it. We have already died with Christ, as the scripture says. So may that not be an excuse. Another excuse is someone else will do it. I don't need to. So are these excuses valid? Are these excuses legitimate? Maybe you've had some of these excuses. Maybe some of you kids have. Maybe some of you older people have. I would challenge you from what Christ says to us here in Matthew 28, as his word comes to us again this morning. May we dismiss these excuses and put them to the side. All right, well, let's continue here in verses 19 and 20. What two actions are we to do as we go make disciples of the nations? Okay, so the key imperative, the key command, make disciples. Okay, so we go to the world and make disciples of all the nations. What two actions are we to do? Look at verse 20 here, 19 and 20. Baptize, teach. Okay, those are the two simple actions that we do as we go do missions. Okay, I'm not going to get into baptizing here for sake of time, but these are the two things, baptize and teach. Well, teach what? Okay, again, Jesus makes it very clear here. Teaching them to obey, to observe, to keep, to follow. Everything that I've commanded you. Okay, he just said, go to all the nations. Now he says, teach everything I've commanded. Now, when we really consider what Christ is saying here, it's amazing. He has all authority. He says to go to all the nations, and he says to teach all that he said. This is an amazing claim. It's an amazing command. And I hope it sinks into your heart in a powerful way this morning as we hear God's word and as the Holy Spirit works. Well, teach what? Teach them to obey everything Christ has already commanded in his word. This is the one thing we need as we go and do missions. You know, we don't need the book that says, you know, the five steps of how to do missions. We don't need that book. We don't need all the experts. We need one thing. This is the one thing we need as we go into the world. We need the word of God. We live in a day and age where everyone wants to dismiss this and reinvent it and reinterpret it and change it and get rid of it. But this is the one tool, the one book, the one authority that we need as we go into the world. Jesus has said to go teach them what I've commanded. Well, where do we know the commands of God? Right here in scripture. We don't need another book. We don't, we don't need a how-to video on YouTube. We just need this. And Christ makes it very clear here. We are to go into the world and tell people to obey what Christ has commanded. How do you know if someone's a disciple? Because they're fulfilling this here in Matthew 28. They're obeying what Christ has commanded. Is that you? Are you someone who is obeying the commands of Christ? That you would identify as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, go and do this to the rest of the world. Make disciples, make people who obey what I've commanded. Not just some Bible stories. Right? There's people who go out into the world and they just tell some Bible stories. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, go and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Not only the unoffensive passages. Right? Well, listen, there's a whole bunch of unoffen- there's a whole bunch of offensive passages in here. So we're gonna get rid of that. And all the stuff that's not offensive, you know, we'll you know, sugarcoat and give to the world. That's not what missions is. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. Not only the positive texts. 
but primarily we are to go to the world and proclaim the gospel. As Jesus says, go to the world and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded, the primary message we are to bring that people must obey is the gospel of Christ, his work upon the cross and his resurrection to save sinners, his finished work to bring redemption to this world. That's the one message that we bring, and that's the one message that we tell people you must obey. Again, it's not a suggestion. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, this command comes to you to obey the gospel as we bring it to the nations. That's our primary responsibility. Obedience to the message of the gospel is central and foundational to missions work. We're not going to the nations and bringing them opinions how to do education or to talk about politics or how we can have a better economy. That's not missions. But a lot of that, a lot that goes on in the world under the name of missions does things like that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, go into the world and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Part of this is certainly repentance of sin, right? That's an unpopular message. You know, it was unpopular when Jesus preached it, right? They didn't want to hear it either. Certainly our culture doesn't want to hear that. The people in New Guinea don't want to hear that. I press repentance upon the, pe- on the people of New Guinea all the time. You must turn away from your sin. Your wrong worldview, you have to reject. Your immorality, you have to leave behind. You have to follow Christ completely. Certainly, repentance of sin is part of what Jesus is saying here when he says, go into the world and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Did Jesus talk about repentance? Certainly he did. Another is submission to Scripture and everything, right? Not just to take and leave. Not just to take the parts of Scripture that we like or we want. But Jesus says here to teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And so as we go do missions, as we go to Mocha, as we go to other unevangelized peoples in this world, as God's people, we are required to tell them to submit to Scripture and everything. And is that true in your life? If you've been made a disciple, is it true in your life that you are submitting to Scripture and everything? Another thing is to teach the cost of discipleship. I preach this all the time in Mocha. If you're going to become a Christian, you have to understand the cost. It's not just like, you know, raise your hand and jump into water and, oh, you're going to heaven. That's not the message of the gospel. There's a true cost to following Christ, Right? If you're not a Christian in this room, consider the cost that Jesus gives before you follow him. You kids in this room, if you're not converted, if you're going to be a Christian, there's a cost. There's a difficulty. And that's part of what we are to bring to the nations. And the reason I say some of these things, I've, I've heard a lot of, the, of what goes on in the world today under the name of missions. And Jesus makes it very clear here in this passage and other passages we could read throughout the New Testament as well. What are we to teach, as Jesus says here, to teach everything that I've commanded? Let's move on here. What is the concluding promise that Jesus gives to his people? So we could break the sermon up into the three parts, right? The, the authority that Jesus has before he gives the command, and we saw that in verse 18. He has all authority, and then he gives a command. Okay, and then point two was the very command, the actual command that he gives to go and make disciples of all the nations. And then what's the concluding promise? He gives a concluding promise. As we consider this, and you might be thinking, wow, this 
this is a tough job. This is a difficult command that Jesus gives. It is, right? But let's hear the concluding promise, and we all know it. As he finishes up giving the command, he says, and behold, in other words, I'm not done yet. Consider this, remember this. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the concluding promise is that Jesus will be with his disciples as they go do missions, as they go make disciples of all the nations. He will be with us. Now, in a very general way, Jesus is always with his people, right? We read in the book of Hebrews, he's with us, he'll not forsake us. He's always with his people, certainly. But in a different way. We could say maybe in a special way. Christ is with his people as we go make disciples of the nations. That's the context here. So don't miss the context of this promise. Christ is with us in a different way, in a special way, as we go do this command, obey this command that he's given to us. Well, how is he with us? Well, he's with us by his word. He's with us by his spirit. He's with us in his gospel. He's with us by his people. Notice what it says here. I am with you. What's the next word? Always, right? He's with us always. And he's with us to the end of the age. In other words, till the work's done, right? There's a work that has to be done. That's what we call missions. The Great Commission. Evangelizing the world. Whatever term you want to use. There's a work that has to be done, must be fulfilled, must be accomplished. That work is there. It's a job that has to get done. And Christ said, I will be with you to the end of the age. In other words, in other words until that job is complete. And so this age is ending, right? He says here, I'll be with you to the end of the age. This age is ending. And we should be thankful for that, right? I mean, I want to be delivered from this cursed world. There's a new age that's coming. There's an eternal age where God's people will dwell in a new creation. But until then, let's work while it's day, right? Let's be faithful to obey this command. A new age is coming that we're going to be part of. Let's try to bring as many people into that kingdom, into that new age as possible. That's the work of missions. And consider the people in this world, as I've mentioned already, where the gospel has never gone. You young kids, think about doing that in your life. Going to places where Christians don't live, don't exist, where the gospel isn't being preached, to bring the gospel to them. So as we consider this work of missions, Jesus says in the concluding promise, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, yeah, but going to New Guinea is tough. Jesus says, I will be with you. Well, going to the deserts of the Middle East, it's, it's too difficult. I will be with you. Well, learning a new language, yeah, I'm, I'm too old for that. Jesus says, I will be with you. Well, I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed and persecuted. I might even die. Jesus says to you, I will be with you. Now, what could we bring before this promise of Christ and say, it's too big? It's bigger than your promise. Nothing. Jesus says, I will be with you. So it doesn't matter what obstacle is there. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what excuse is on the table. Jesus says, I will be with you. What else do you need? What else do you need? We can fulfill the greatest task, the greatest mission, the greatest cause in the history of this planet, because Christ says, I will be with you. That's an amazing promise.
You know, just imagine if you were in your work as an illustration and your boss tells you, listen, go do this task. You say, listen, it's kind of tough and I'm not sure what everyone else is going to say or think of me. And your employer says, listen, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be right there and I'm going to speak for you and I'm going to give you what you need. And you'd go with confidence, right? How much more what Christ says here? It doesn't matter what country it is. It doesn't matter what language it is. It doesn't matter what culture it is. Christ says, he promises, I'll be with you. So I want to encourage and challenge your church this morning. Have prayer meetings about this. Have family prayer meetings about this. Pray individually about this. And consider this amazing promise of Christ that it would embolden you and encourage you to go out into the world and do what he's commanded us. So as I conclude here, I want to give some final application. And I want to start first with you young kids, okay? You kids here who are, say, below 20, not married, the application for you is this. Seriously consider and pray about doing this work in your life. You hear me, kids? Plan and prepare to this end. Don't pursue the American dream. You're going to go to school. You're going to have friends. They're going to tell you, listen, live for yourself, live for money, live for fame. And God says, don't. Now, will you become a missionary? Maybe, maybe not. But the application for you kids this morning, seriously consider this and pray about it. Talk to your parents about it. Talk to the church leaders about it. Say, you know what? I want to be a missionary. That's where it starts. Read Christian biographies of missionaries who have gone before us. William Carey, Adoniram Judson, David Brainerd, Hudson Taylor, many others. Elizabeth Elliott for you women. Amy Carmichael. Read their stories. And for you kids, say, you know what? I want to be a missionary. I want to bring Christ and his message and his name to a people that have never heard. So that's, that's the application for you kids. Next is you men. You married men and men who are, say, above 20. Consider this important command from Christ. You know what the application is? Do it. That's it. You know, isn't that where Christianity hits the road? Where the rubber hits the road? It's like, well, Christ gives us this command. Do it. You know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, how did you end up in New Guinea and why are you there? And the thing I always say first, usually, Christ told us to do it, right? What other reason do we need? Go and evangelize the world. Okay, let's go do it. So men, that's the application for you this morning. Don't think, well, I'm too old or someone else is better or you individual men. Consider this and move in that direction. Do it. Next, you wives, you women who are married here, pray about doing this work with your husbands. Encourage and challenge your husband to do this work. You know, one of the things I've noticed as we visit churches, as I've talked about missions, usually it's the women, married and single women, who are more interested in missions. And women, I want to commend you for that. That's a great thing. Again, you think of women like um, Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot. I want to commend you women for that. And men, you need to consider that as well. Because most of the men are unwilling to do it. That's why I gave you the, the application. But for you women, encourage your husbands to this end, to this work. Pray with them about it. Bring the topic up. And men, listen when your wives do that. The next application is for post-65. 
Okay, so if you're older than 65, you might be thinking, well, I got out of this one. Just wait a second, we got some application for you as well. Okay, application for you. You older generation, be prayer warriors. Be givers, be encouragers for this great work. Don't think, well, I'm too old to be part of missions. No, you're not. Be prayer warriors. Dedicate one day a week to praying for missions. Every Monday, pray for missions. The missionaries you know, for the Lord to raise up new missionaries, be prayer warriors, the older generation. Be givers. Usually it's the older generation that has more money, right? The older people are usually more wealthy. Be givers to the cause of missions. Look at a young couple in this church and encourage them to go and fund them to go. Say, listen, I got the money, you go. Send someone out. So you older generation, the older people of this church, be prayer warriors, be givers, be encouragers. Have your eye out, you older people, for the younger here who might be gifted and qualified to become missionaries and encourage them and challenge them to that end. Don't encourage them to just go to college and get a degree and get money. And then one final application to you as a church in general, as a church, pray and fast. Where do I get that from? Acts chapter 13. Think of the first missionary team that was sent out. What did they do? They prayed and fasted as a church. And then they sent out Paul and Barnabas. Do that exact same thing. I want to encourage you as a church, pray and fast that the Lord would raise up a couple from your church to go and do what I've been preaching about here from Matthew chapter 28. Find out about an unevangelized people group in this world and send a couple from your church to go bring the gospel to them and make disciples of them. Jesus has accomplished the greatest work in human history. He has made a way for salvation. He has conquered sin. Christ Jesus has overcome Satan. And he's made a way for sinners to be delivered from hell. No other man in history has or could accomplish this mission. And in light of that work which he did, and by his authority which he received from accomplishing it, he calls, he commands those who believe and follow him to continue his mission by going to all the nations of this world and making disciples. Will you do it? Father, bless your word that has been preached. Holy Spirit, come and bring it into our hearts and give us grace to obey in whatever way that you would have us to obey and to participate as individuals, as families, and as the church here, that you would work for the sake of Christ and the glory of his name among the nations. Amen.